Artistic Whispers Productions presents Antithesis Book One Predestination and Other Games of Chance. A podcast novel written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net. Featuring the vocal talents of Stephanie Sawyer, Lorian Wheeler, Aaron K. Balabinian, Ryan Levy, Heather Welliver, Tim the Comic Book Goddess. With original music by Danny Shade. This story contains harsh language, sexual situations, and graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. And now, episode 16. Hi, this is Dahlia Masachi, author of the forthcoming book, Writing to Make a Difference, 25 Powerful Techniques to Boost Your Community Impact. Look for it this spring at www.dfmasachi.net. You're listening to Antithesis, book one, and this is the story so far. Alyssa and Jim Hartman's War on Mars has gone cold. Despite Alyssa's vindictive depression and Jim's flirtations with the Children of Light, they've discovered the one immutable law of human relationships, money talks. After the failure at Sidon and the wreckage of their lives, accepting a commission from someone like Douglas Reeves suddenly didn't seem all that bad after all. And maybe, if they work it right, they can find a way to safely return to Earth and go their separate ways. Joss Kyle, on the other hand, isn't working on a fool's hope. After the terrorist bombing of his bar phalanx, he's pissed. Concluding that the only reason to hit the bar is to get to him, he began to wonder if Cassie Orenthal has sold him out. Meanwhile, Cassie, having just discovered that Doug Reeves knows about the revolution, has returned to her ship to find some sort of grounding and figure out what to do about him. And about her sister, Jade. The circular, well-worn deck of the bridge grounded her. As soon as she'd come aboard, she'd closed the main hatch and locked the airlock. The pressure releases on the gangway were ready to blow the moment the tower looked at her crooked. Kyrie was poised on the head of a pin to bug out. Jade hadn't told her. You couldn't live with a man, a man you were supposed to be keeping under surveillance, and not know. Not if you were Jade Oren. She had to know. But worse than that, even if Jade had turned code and told Doug everything, she wasn't in the loop on the resistance protocols. And what was he doing at Scott Walter's flat? What was in that computer core he took? Reeves wasn't the only one who had taken something from the flat. In the confusion and the chase, she'd nearly forgotten. Cassie's left hand patted her right side pockets. Her fingers found the opening of her hip pocket and dipped in. A PPD. She drew it out and tossed it at one of the mag strips above her console. And a stack of coins... Ten of them. Very heavy. She wrapped her fist around them and pulled them out, spreading them out on the counter next to the coffee machine, holding one up for scrutiny. Old American, before the union with Canada and Mexico. Gold. The only reason she could identify it at all was because she'd seen them before. On Nineveh. In Joss's room. One of his little affectations. He used them to vouchsafe people. They got you in with people in his network they did not guarantee you would get out. So why did Walters, a man Joss claimed to know nothing about, have ten of them? He'd needed one of them to get into Joss with a bounty, but he could have gotten that one at any of a dozen places in Luna City where Joss had contacts. There was only one way he could have a stash of ten. 
Walters wasn't just a dock worker. He wasn't just a foot soldier in Cassie's organization. He was one of Joss's lieutenants. So why was Joss lying about it? The bridge seemed smaller than she remembered it. She chalked it up to spending too much time in the tunnels in the opera house. The bridge was tiny. Shrinking. That fuck! She growled impotently at the walls. The normally soft bell filled the room with an oppressive ringing like a ferryman tolling in the fog in one of those old films Brittany was always going on about. What is it? Val, Curie's AI, whispered softly. Communicate from Nineveh. Cassie loved the ship, but she kept Val on a short leash, about as sentient as a puppy prodigy with a gift for maths. There was no instinct in her whatsoever for self-preservation. Cassie set her jaw and looked squarely at the monitor. She didn't have time to take in Joss's appearance. As soon as the screen came to life, his voice bellowed through the cabin. God damn it, Cassie, who'd you sell me out to? If you're behind this, I'm going to rip out your esophagus with a fish hook and stuff it in your mouth. Cassie dropped the volume as he ranted a path of fire across her screen. Val, how long is it going to take for him to hear me? 130 seconds. Cassie nodded and turned the volume back up. And now somebody's bombing my bar! And the only reason someone would do that, Cassie, nothing else here is worth the trouble. You're the only one who knows I'm here. Who have you told? Sold you out? You've got a lot of gall pulling that one. I haven't told a soul, you son of a bitch. Why have you been lying to me about Walters? Now she waited. Just over two minutes for the signal to get to him. Another couple of minutes for it to get back. Plus however long it took him to decide what to say. The room felt like a coffin. Her tiny office at the opera house, if you included the bathroom, was bigger. And it had its own life. If Joss had sold her out... She really was alone. Was Brittany the only one she could trust? No, not her. It wasn't that kind of- Walters, what are you talking about? I've kept him here as long as I could. I don't have any more excuses. I have to let him The transmission fuzzed, compression artifacts taking over before the interference lines put it out. Val, what happened? Transmission interrupted by sunspots. When does the storm die down? Current projected duration, two weeks. Cassie plopped down in her pilot's chair and punched the nav blister button. The dome over her head, the nose of the spacecraft, slid aside. She reclined the chair full back and looked out at the sky, earth hanging forlornly above her like a mother hoping her children would come home. Someday, there would be nobody left. All of her children would be gone and it would be a park or some other damn thing. After that, she would be a cinder, swallowed up in Saul's rage like a woman kept always at a distance until her man snapped. Cassie could go. She could leave right now, be at Nineveh in no time, and finish the conversation in person. She wasn't waiting for anything here. Joss turning coat ranked too high. The security problems at the docks would have to wait. She should radio for clearance and launch, right now. Ship stores were full. She could afford the fuel wasn't good business to lift light, but she could always get a cargo for the return trip. And the stars pulled at her. She hated Luna. She hated its ghosts. Hated its fucking people. Out there, it was just her and Kyrie. No complications. She had one finger in each of three worlds. She could always jump between them when one got too closed. Even with the dome open, Kyrie's bridge was closed. Tiny. Empty. Out there, 
It would be as quiet as death floating in the vacuum. If she left now, she might not be able to come back. Something was rotten, and if she didn't root it out, it could threaten the structure that kept her safe. And there was Jade. What had she done? How much had she told Reeves? Cassie leapt from her chair and slid down the ladder 12 levels to Kyrie's cargo bay and hit the deck at a dead run. She needed to know how much Reeves knew. She didn't think about the PPD she'd left safely stuck to the backside of a bulkhead on the bridge. Joss walked, almost huddled, through his usual route home. Sunspots. He suspected that she'd deliberately cut him off. Which meant that she'd probably be coming soon. The tram down the bore of the station teemed with unfriendly faces. It looked like a bad part of Bogota. One of the people he was looking at could be the bomber. It couldn't have been a hit. He wasn't that hard to find, and the bomb couldn't have been there longer than a day probably planted by one of the players during one of the games. He'd have to tell Mondu to review the tapes again tomorrow. As soon as she could get here is a week. Not enough time to get anything but a passenger ticket off station. He was going to have to make a stand here, unless something held her up on Luna. He hoped she got held up. He knew with sinking certainty that he would not be able to do what he'd need to if she showed up. He couldn't do it at Sidon, and that had been a mistake. And now though he hated to admit it. He didn't think he had the stomach for it anymore. He should have snapped her neck, taken her ship, and gone somewhere his conscience couldn't get him into trouble. And now, his loyalties were too conflicted, and the only place he had left worth running to was back into the lion's den to have it out with Shelley. Luna was too hot. Mars was too cold. He was tired of running, tired of hiding, and tired of missing the open sky. Revolution had its perks, but it was lonely work, and Cassie had scratched that old scar just enough to make it itch. He no longer had the resources to do what needed to be done to preserve his own skin. He'd bought back into the myth that there was something bigger than himself, and for the first time in years, he was truly vulnerable. In his flat, he stripped down and tried to sleep, but nothing worked. His mind wouldn't stop turning over, and every noise that filtered through the bulkheads made him twitch. Whoever had bombed Phalanx was out there. They hadn't wanted him dead this afternoon, just scared. Which meant, whoever it was, he was a hunter, and one that liked to toy with his prey. Joss threw the covers off himself, got dressed, put his hat on, and grabbed his gun. He turned his wing back to face the door and sat in it. It was familiar. He'd slept this way once, for two years solid. Nobody could get to him before he got a shot off. Joss sat, watched the door, fingering his sig, and wondered if he would ever sleep again. If God adores what men forsake, then Mars is the promised land. 
Jim stood at a porthole window overlooking the Martian wasteland. The red sunset filtered through the petering remains of the dust storm and illuminated his body in a soft, cool glow. The War God Hotel in North Dome pulled them up and out of the top of the dome proper and into the rarefied, near-airless Martian sky where the windows looked out onto the small city with its unprotected industrial works and endless orange desert. They wouldn't be here if Reeves' commission hadn't required that they stake out a financier in room 1725 right across the hall. There was a time when Allie would have considered the stay romantic, but not now. It was only one room, one bed, not even a serviceable couch. The commission didn't pay enough to get a suite, and that meant she couldn't avoid him. Allie caught sight of him as she stepped out of the bathroom, standing there like he thought he was Apollo in a chariot riding naked across the sky. He was not given to brazen nudity. Actually, until, well, until recently, he had been almost overly modest. The sight of him in front of the window felt like a rusted scalpel trying to lance a boil. She looked away, not willing to let herself be drawn in. Not now. Not again. The hatred was nutritious. It was all she had left. She walked away from him and snarled over her shoulder at him. What kind of god would promise his people a wasteland like this? She didn't make an effort to conceal her bitterness. After months of exile in the cold red-gray, they had a job that took more than an afternoon or two. It was proper. St. Bridget was getting her revenge for all the fugitives they'd hunted down. They'd been here, alone, not even each other to keep them company, sitting in the ashes of their lives, Jim out gallivanting with Christ knows who, coming home high on drugs. She should be grateful. It was a simple equation. When he was being supportive and solicitous, she couldn't avoid the blame. She'd let things between them go to shit. She'd started the whole goddamn thing, and then clinched it in Ensenada. Since then, they'd been on borrowed time. Sidon was just life support. Maybe not even that. And now they were working for Reeves. It was like dancing with a two-foot cadaver. But it was a job. Even if they had to work for Satan to do it, they were out from under Bridget's cruel protection. It was a job. What kind of god? Maybe one who wants to toughen the breed. He sent the chosen people into slavery and through the wilderness. And they're still around, despite the loss of their homeland 50 years ago. Sweet Christ, he was enjoying this. She resisted the urge to hurl a paperweight at him. The smell of soap and shaving cream still rose off his body like steam from a snowbound corpse. She dropped her towel and stepped into her trousers and shirt, making sure he couldn't see her even in the reflection. Maybe God gave up on making promises. Maybe that's the whole point. People. She let the word hang in the air just long enough that he'd know who she was talking about. Can't hold up there end of the bargain. <laughs> Maybe he did it that. Maybe we really are alone. She picked up her Remington and tucked it into her jacket pocket, then threw the jacket over her shoulder. It's time. Jim sighed heavily at the world outside and turned back towards her. Are you ready? You're not. She tried to find anything else to look at. In the corner of her eye, he got dressed, making a point of putting on his pants last. He wanted her to notice. He wanted her to see that, even now, he still wanted her. It was all she could do not to shoot him. 
he didn't have the right to want her. She hooked her comlink over the back of her ear and started running the test they'd always used. Hickory Dickory's fast red shirt, the rat crawled up the thespian's skirt. All the hard to distinguish consonants. Hickory Dickory's slow and soft. He can't get it up for a thermal cough. He was playing. That smarmy lilt in his voice. He was flirting with her. He wouldn't let up. He'd never let up. God damn him. No interference. She finally dared to look over at him and relaxed a little bit when she saw he wasn't smiling. You know how it has to go down. You walk out that door, it's business. Don't tell me my job. Okay. They walked to the door. Allie made sure Jim went through first. He was point. She paused before closing it again and looked back through the room and out the large floor-to-ceiling windows. Jim was right. It was the promised land. It was the place God had promised the faithless for all eternity. And it was all she had left. Office days. They helped when Doug had a full docket and couldn't work at home, which happened more often lately. She hated it. The normal course of a workday had Doug holding court for a few hours, then coming home to tend to his research precedents and deal with board-related business. And to do his business with the secret army that he thought she didn't know about. On most mornings, he left before she got up and was home by 1400, and the rest of the day and evening, they worked alongside each other, taking breaks easily as their rhythm dictated. When her work was done, she'd sketch or paint or go down to the reservoir to give him the space he thought he needed to hide what he was doing from her. But when he was gone all day and most of the evening for days on end, she went into the office. She didn't need to be there. It was just busy work. Processing, filing, reorganizing information so overextended executives and politicians could gain some measure of personal space before they took on more work to clutter it up again. It kept the bills paid. It kept her from being a mooch. But she had to wear clothes to the office. It was a stupid, petty thing to be bothered by, she knew. After all, Luna City wasn't exactly a haven of prudery. But after what she'd lived through, she needed the freedom to just be in her own skin. At home or the reservoir, in the arts district, it was fine to go about in skin or paint or something light and cool. Locke's Corps was a professional place and required a different uniform. One she found constricting, and the lack of touch drove her insane. Doug was out late today. He had sent a message to her PPD telling her he wouldn't be home till 2200. She'd been through work, ducked out early to take a swim, but eventually there just wasn't much to do. Oh, she could go down to the arts district and model, or find a model. But after a day in the office, she needed to be home, swaddled in the world she and Doug had created together. Their apartment was set in the cliff face north of Grissom Spaceport. Good neighborhood, full of decent, neighborly people. As she fumbled in her beach bag for the card key, she could never remember where she put the thing when it wasn't in her hip pocket, Shayna Takahashi walked by with her new baby clutched warmly to her breast. Jade! She smiled and gave Jade a hug with her free arm. Good to see you out and around. Jade returned the hug and looked down at the baby, a small, exotic-looking boy suckling contentedly inside Shayna's pulled-open kimono top. He looks happy. Well, <laughs> she whispered conspiratorially. He's putting on an act for you. As soon as the milk runs out, he'll be screeching again. Better get him switched over before he notices. 
Jade laughed and started rummaging around again. Oh, I'll find something to entertain him. Another 12 or 13 months and I can slough him off on Ginger during the day. Jade's hands lit upon the card key and she pulled it out triumphantly. I'm sure you will. Shayna smiled again at Jade and inclined her head and continued her walk towards her own flat a few doors down. Jade slid the keycard into the lock and applied her thumbprint. And tell that man of yours. Shayna tossed over her shoulder. Jade turned to look at Shayna again as the door slid open. If he doesn't start paying more attention to you, you'll send him to me. I'll give him what for. Thanks. I'm sure that'll keep him in line. She giggled and shook her head, then stepped through the door into the dark apartment. Why was it dark? The light should have gone on as soon as she stepped in. Lights? The computer didn't respond. She reached out to the left and hit the button next to the door. The button should also turn the lights on. Instead, the door slid shut behind her. Computer? Lights? A burning, sun-bright light shone in her face. She closed her eyes against the dazzling, but the pain searing through to her retinas was too much. She turned away. A foot fell behind her, but before she had time to react, she felt two cold pinpricks through her shirt. The numbing, burning shock crumpled her to the ground. It didn't knock her out. Her mind struggled to latch onto a feeling. Fear? Confusion? She couldn't tell the difference. She was vaguely conscious of hands. Strong, small hands, pulling her forearms together behind her back and wrapping them in a cord until her shoulders felt like they would pop out of their sockets. Then she was dragged, she didn't know how far, and propped in her chair. Her eyes weren't working, but she recognized it by touch. She tried to move her mouth, but her brain wouldn't supply words. Her thoughts were like sludge lubricants sliding all over each other and forming nothing distinct. The world was blind except the feel of the velour on her forearms. After some time, her brain didn't work well enough to count the breaths, the thick smell of ammonia salts pried her eyes open and jolted her back against the chair. Before her was a window, the floor-to-ceiling porthole that looked out over the mare. Then the pain came. The burned jelly feeling of electrocuted muscles, the straining rip of her shoulders pulling away from their sockets, the smoldering sting of the ammonia vapors in her nostrils. She wailed and thrashed, all the terror finding its way to the surface at once. Rope bit into her neck and scraped the skin from her eyes as she tried somehow to get away. Don't give me that. You've had worse. A thin reflection in the glass stepped out of the shadows, as unreal as the voice was cold. Jade blinked her eyes two, three times. She must have been drugged. It's time we talked. Colder than the surface of the moon. Jade had only ever heard that voice before, when someone was about to die. She stopped pulling against her bonds and looked at the face reflected in the glass. Cassie? What is this? This? Her words were measured. There was no ease in her voice. Each word was enunciated clearly, like playing a xylophone on a guillotine. Is your trial. Fine, Cass. Let's have a trial. She wanted to play one of her games. Fine. I'm not joking. Jade's stomach sank. She looked into the glass at Cassie's half-transparent face. You never came at anyone from behind. I wouldn't lower myself to their level. Cassie started walking, slowly, straight up behind Jade. Her body loomed ever larger in the window. But when the sister who lived with me through all of it, the only person who I trusted with my life, turns and slips a shiv in my back, I figure 
Jade felt Cassie's breath on her ear as Cassie's voice dropped to a bitter whisper. What the hell's the point? She gulped, but managed to keep her voice calm. You haven't killed me yet. Because... Cassie's voice was shaking now, but the cold, serrated whisper held firm on Jade's ear. I want to know why. Jade suppressed a shudder. She knew that if she were anyone else, her next question would probably lose her a body part. Why what? Her voice was the ghost of a whisper, but it was enough to push Cassie past the point of rage. Jade's sister rose up to full height and locked eyes with her in the glass. You sold us out! (laughs) It was exactly the wrong thing to do. But the laugh escaped Jade before she could stifle it. Cassie came right around to the front of her, bending down so they were nose to nose. I saved you from the men that killed our mother. I protected you all your life. I found you this fucking life you love so much. Cassie's eyes were pits of hurt and hatred. And you sold me out! If her voice got any louder, she'd crack the glass of the window. Jade's ears ached. Cass... Jade wanted to claw Cassie's eyes out. How dare she? But she knew that keeping her voice low and trying to appear reasonable was the only way to keep her skin. I never sold you out. Don't you lie to me. Doug knows. He knows everything. Where the organization lives and breathes, how to fake drops to people in the resistance. He's got a mole, probably more than one. Deep inside. I saw him, Jade. I saw him walk into one of our drops like he owned the place. Cassie, you don't... Shut up. She spat the word. He showed up at the home of someone I'm looking for. He's investigating everything I am. You wouldn't have missed it, no matter how well he hid it. You didn't tell me. And maybe... Cassie stood up and pulled a thermal out of her hip pocket. It was the one Jade kept in the bedside table. One that Cassie had given her years ago. A gun Cassie took off the body of a traitor. Maybe you even told him about me and he got inside my organization. The accusation hung in the air between them like a floating corpse. Jade had to say something. Even though Cassie would hate herself forever for it, she'd kill Jade if she truly believed Jade had sold her out. And Jade did not doubt it for a moment. I didn't tell him, Cassie. She looked defiantly up at her sister, whose hard-set eyes might as well have been stones. But you knew, and you didn't tell me. I knew that he knew about you, yes. You knew he had a mole in the resistance. Yes. And you didn't tell me. Cassie seemed to grow, her rage turning her into something terrible. Something that, until now, Jade had always been glad to have on her side. An angel of vengeance, seething with righteousness. Jade chose her words carefully, trying to keep the panic down in her feet where it belonged. There was no point... Cassie staggered backwards as if she'd been struck. No? No point? She looked at Jade, slack-jawed with disbelief. What have you become? What did I do to you? You taught me how to live, and then showed me a man who isn't a monster. He is a monster, you stupid girl. Jade winced at the derision. He's in the pocket of those goat fuckers in Washington. He's a loyal supporter of the native regime. He wants things like what happened on Darkseid to continue, as long as the right people maintain control. He wants Earth to mind its own bloody business. Cassie stopped. Her jaw moved uselessly around the empty air. He wants what you want. He wants Luna to be free. Jade prayed silently for Cassie to believe her. The truth was all she had. Maybe, maybe, 
it would be enough. Cassie looked at Jade like she'd just pulled a sheet over the face of their relationship. You! Cassie gritted through her teeth. Didn't tell me. She was dead. She knew it. But she wouldn't betray Cassie more now by lying to her. No, I didn't. And you wouldn't if you had it to do over again. No, I wouldn't. You knew the whole time. Not the whole time, and not everything, but enough. Cassie leaned down into Jade's face again and tapped her chest with every word. You know who the mole is. Yes, I think I do. There was no point in keeping the secret anymore. Cassie would kill her, or she wouldn't. Doug would be exposed, but no more so than Cassie already was. It was the least she could do to restore a little balance. Who is it? You're the mole, Cassie. Doug is Loxley. Cassie looked down at Jade, or at what she'd thought was Jade until just a moment ago. Was it possible for Jade to fall in love and play both sides? Sure. Everyone got their loyalties confused sooner or later. But this lies in the face of her own death, trying to play for a mindfuck. Whatever it was that sat before her in the green wingback wasn't her sister. Jade really was lost to her. Cassie walked past Jade and stood with her back to the chair so that Jade couldn't see the tears that would no longer hide. She tried half a dozen times to say something threatening, to keep control of herself, to try to break through the brainwashing and find the real Jade underneath, but it was no use. Jade was gone. What sat tied up behind her was a clever forgery. Cass... Jade's voice swung like a fire pot through Cassie's mental house of cards. Untie me and go home. I never sold you out. You're safe. The cause is safe. Cassie teetered on the edge of something, but she didn't know what. Where do you think he got the idea to recruit you? Cassie's resolution crumbled. She turned back to the chair and pressed the gun to Jade's skull. Scoot forward. Jade complied. With her left hand... Cassie pulled her utility knife from her belt and extended the blade, slicing carefully through the knot on the hemp cord. Don't move. Cassie faded backwards, through the hall, through the passage between the kitchen and the living room. She found the door switch with her left hand and tapped the simple code that she'd set to override the lock. The door slid open behind her, and she stepped backwards into the hall, not lowering her weapon until she couldn't see anymore. The door was shut on her nightmare. She looked around, making sure the hall was clear, then tucked her pistol in her pocket and ran. You've been listening to episode 16 of Antithesis, book one, Predestination, and other games of chance. Written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Original music by Danny Shade, used with permission. This episode starred Stephanie Sawyer as Cassie Orenthal, Aaron Balabanian as Allie, Brian Levy as Jim, Kim the Comic Book Goddess as Val, and Heather Welliver as Shayna Takahashi. 
Some sounds courtesy the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2008 Kitty Nakian and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook was recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 1997 and 2008, J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009, Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. Immortality, longevity, an endless lifespan. What would you do to become immortal? My name is McAllen Orsel. I'm a genetic scientist in New York. I'm caught in a secret war between two powerful groups of immortals. I've been told that I am a messiah to a group of people I barely know. I'm forced on a quest around the globe to fulfill a destiny I never chose. If only I can stay alive. From Christoph Leputka comes The Leviathan Chronicles, an audio adventure like you've never heard before. What is Leviathan? We have been among you for almost a millennia. What? Immortal? They can't know about Leviathan. Blow those charges. Get down! Why have you brought me here? You are here because we need your help. She was never trained for this. She was bred for it, Anton. But she doesn't know that. You'll need to find me, McAllen. To discover the Leviathan Chronicles and get the next dimension in podcasting, go to www.leviathanchronicles.com. And with that, we are down to 10 episodes remaining in Predestination. That's right, for those of you who asked and didn't listen to the Dealing In shows, Predestination and Other Games of Chance ends at episode 27. The series will resume with book two, entitled Free Will and Other Compulsions, on September 9th, 2009. That's 9909. Easy one to remember. In between the two books, I'll be podcasting Down From Ten, a cabin fever drama with mystery, science fiction, horror, and romance elements woven in for flavor. It's quite a departure from my usual fare, but it's something that you'll enjoy if you like the way I do character drama. Thank you very much for bearing with me in the long absence between house guests and illnesses. I haven't been able to lay down a respectable narrative track to save my life in almost six weeks. If you listen to the recent special features episodes, you can hear the tiredness, the raspiness, and the general crap quality of my voice over the last month and a half. But I'm back now in top narrative form, and we're going to be pushing straight through to the end. You can expect a second episode this week to try to make up a bit for the delays, and then it'll be back to the original weekly release schedule after that. Yes, really, weekly episodes. We're coming into the home stretch, and I am really excited to be getting this one done. Thank you to everyone who showed up to the pub crawl on January 6th. I had a fabulous time meeting people. More of you than whose names I can remember at the moment, honestly. Between that and Minx's birthday party that evening, that day is mostly a blur for me. But I can remember particularly Trucker Rich and Marcy Alana were in scintillating form that day. I've heard from several others who were there and can't wait to do the next dealing in to respond to each of you. You guys were all fabulous, and I had a great time. 
We don't have another one planned yet, but there will be at least one more before this novel ends, and then possibly a rap party slash launch party for... And then possibly a rap party for this one slash launch party for the next one. I'm still trying to figure out the logistics. Listen for the next Dealing In, where you'll hear me get roundly bitch-slapped by some of my Canadian listeners, as I expected I would, and I respond in full form. Mildred Katie won the iTunes review contest. Her shirt is on the way to her now. Please continue to leave reviews at iTunes, at Blueberry, at Podcast Alley, and Podcast Pickle, and link to us wherever you can. Our listener count continues to climb. We're up over 700 now, and I'm starting to think we might be able to overtake Chris Lester before long. So if you're new to Antithesis, or hell, even if you've been around for a while, tell your friends, post a link, give away MP3s, dive bomb your enemies with CD copies of the first few shows to get people hooked. After all, I don't get paid for this. Your feedback is all I'm getting out of it. Keep it coming. Make it worth my while. You can email your questions, comments, criticisms, attaboys, and death threats to dan at jdsawyer.net, or you can leave them on the blog at antithesis.jdsawyer.net. You can call me and leave voicemail, and please do, at area code 206-350-5739. If you're not in North America, remember to use the U.S. country code 01 to get into our lovely outdated phone network. Expect episode 17 in just a couple of days when you might find out some or all of the answers to the following questions. What is the job Doug hired Jim and Allie for? What will Jade do now that she's escaped Cassie's wrath with her skin? How will Cassie proceed now that she has nobody to trust? And perhaps most importantly... Now that Joss is sleeping with his gun again, what will he do if Cassie shows up at his door looking for answers? Find out in just a couple days. And remember, it isn't whether you win or lose. It's how you rig the game.